Welcome to Regulatory Ramblings. It's a special edition with HK FinTech Week right around the corner. It's uh, one of the premier events of its kind that puts Hong Kong on the map. Also part of the festivities is HKU FinTech Day on November 1st. With HK FinTech Week proper running from October 30th to November 5th, with the main events on November 2nd and 3rd at the Convention Exhibition Center in Wan Chai. Our guests today are Karina Balin and Karen Kandet. They are founders of W Hub and Angel Hub. And W Hub, starting this year, is the organizer of HK FinTech Week, taking over from Finoverse. And, uh, well, Karina and Karen, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having us. Yeah, great to be back at HKU. Much obliged. So, uh, I've seen some of the lineup for this year, uh, what World Stack panels. What, what, broadly speaking, what can we expect from HK FinTech Week? And well, I think uh, we can expect an incredible lineup, as you mentioned, and, and really a, a gather of the entire FinTech landscape, right? From uh, incumbents, from tech companies, from regulators, government bodies, and really meaningful discussion about, you know, the latest technology, AI, you know, and Web3 and how it has been impacting and moving forward the FinTech space. Yeah. I know, that, I mean, looking at the lineup and the... the Names you've big names you've gotten. It seems people are spoiled for choice. They're really going to have to be selective because obviously some 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 sessions, some panels are going to clash. There's always a lot going on for <laughs> sure, and I think particularly this year we're really uh, proud. The theme is fintech redefined, yeah. and we like people to read as we're showcasing the tech in fintech, and we're showcasing Hong Kong really as a thriving tech hub and particularly in financial services. So as Karen said, uh, there's an incredible lineup as much as on maybe more traditional financial services players, as well as on tech players in the Web3 and the AI space. So yeah, at one point in time, you may decide rather to be on the dedicated tech stage or rather listen to a center stage or to the dedicated Hong Kong and GBA stage or the venture stage and showcase <laughs> stage. So a lot is going on. That's true. Something that a lot of people are talking about right now, it's in the, I guess the zeitgeist is what you'd call it, um, is uh, AI and LLM. Um, I, I see you've paid attention to that as well as uh, the regulatory panels. They, they seem th not just one. There are multiple panels dealing with the the implications of regulation, which which is always of interest to us, being HKU Law School. Uh, related to that is also uh, the GBA week, and um, you know, what are your thoughts on the startup scene in, in Hong Kong and, and the Greater Bay Area? Yeah, maybe actually before we go into GBA, I don't know if, if Karen wants to highlight actually on on AI and uh, and Web three because we were just running a, a global scale-up competition and uh, companies were particularly coming right from the AI and... Yeah, it, that was downtown. It's true. Not only in... Well, I mean, it, where did uh, we actually, go? <laughs> the thing is that even before Hong Kong FinTech Week, we, we, we've been on the road, you know, for the past two months and a half and we've been in like uh, 12 uh, economies, uh, cities and three continents. So we've actually been to Toronto, London, 
Berlin, Tel Aviv, Dubai, Bangalore, Bangkok, Shenzhen, Singapore, Hong Kong la last week, actually at uh, HKU. So thank you very much for hosting us. And uh, we have been organizing our global scale-up competitions. So in each cities, we had a semi-finals where actually we had a lot of applicants. In total, we got more than 500 applicants. And in each city, we select you know, one winner to come and to pitch at Hong Kong FinTech Week to showcase you know, all the latest uh, trend and uh, scale-ups that have been using AI and Web3 and really enabling FinTech. So it's also a, a big part of the conference. And we saw like for 80% of the application were related either or to like Web3 and AI, or sometimes even both, right? Because it's very complementarity type of technologies as well. It is a seamless web. And what strikes me is by, that by taking that approach, um, I mean, much is said about inclusion these days. Uh, there are people who no doubt participate in this contest, in the, in the competition, that um, maybe are from jurisdictions where people don't necessarily have the means and wouldn't be able to make it to Hong Kong on their own. And uh, by virtue of this, you're giving them a chance, a platform to shine and make their, uh, make their talents known. Yeah, exactly. And the aim really also is that they have interest actually, you know, to, to come and to set up in Hong Kong and in the region. So it's really providing them the opportunity to showcase their solution, to build uh, meaningful connections during the conference. We'll make sure they have visibility and they have access as well to, to big players. So it's, uh, it's great for business. The network, form. yeah. The, the network networking is big, right, part of the conference. It's, you know, it's about learning and connecting in order really to make your business grow. I mean, coming back to your question on the, on the GBA, right? Yeah. So I think it's, uh, we're obviously super proud that for Hong Kong FinTech Week, we bring the GBA Day back, uh, which is uh, the cross-boundary event on the 31st of October, uh, taking place in Futian. And uh, I think it will be thrilling not only uh, to bring overseas uh, uh, guests into mainland China, but also to attract you know, the Chinese tech ecosystem into, into that event. I think it will be particularly, to your point, thrilling uh, for people who have never been to Shenzhen or Futian to just you know, walk out, step out the bus or step out of the, of the MTR and realize how silent it is how clean it is, 95%, maybe even 99% all electrical vehicles. Uh, it's, it, it's a very, very uh, impressive, I think, experience. And to your point, um, on GBA Day in particular, I would like to put the focus not only on the narrow sense of financial services, uh, but generally highlighting um, the tech ecosystem in Shenzhen. So the other point, applications for society, and, and I guess an yes. analogy would be that the space race during the 60s and 70s created many spillover technologies that ended up in the consumer space. Exactly, exactly. And anyway, I mean, at the end of the day, it's all about business. So the underlying rails, rails are, you know, finance for sure. Right. But just as one of the examples, so um, there is networking, there are panels and firesides, but there are also company tours. And some of these company tours will go to uh, players, uh, for example, DAS Technology, uh, which I think has for sure the, the greenest building in Shenzhen, I think one of the greenest buildings in China, maybe probably one of the greenest buildings in the world, uh, where everything is really digitally controlled. And I think it, it's kind of like eye-opening and people just walking in and, and see that you can control anything, uh, any employee can control anything from their own iPhone. Um, and, uh, and having you know, stats uh, live in real time on what's happening that the building is carbon negative, uh, I think people will start realizing that, um, you know, that's, that's where the future is heading. So it's going to be thrilling. Others have said that 
even if the innovation isn't necessarily taking place in Hong Kong, that it can play that retro portal middleman role that it did during the colonial age, during British rule. Obviously things have changed, but so long as it can, because Shenzhen is right next door. So do you, do you necessarily need to be the hub? You can be a facilitator. You can provide other professional services to the people in Shenzhen that are doing the innovation and I guess get your, collect your fees, get, get your, get your cut and perhaps be a place where some of those technologies are implemented. Yeah, I think that the power of a hub is you, you connect, you plug at any given stage. And I think uh, what we what we can see is we, we, we talked about, I think the last time as well, is like Hong Kong has scaled in a short amount of time, a uh, uh, number of, of unicorns, right? Uh, nearly 20 unicorns uh, for 7 million people. That's a quite high density of unicorns per, per capita. Yeah, and and some true. of them and some of them are, are were really leaders or are still leaders in their industry, right? Uh, and we talked about uh, DJI or SenseTime or Animoca brand. So these are not just unicorns, but they're really in the leading ranks of their industry. So um, yeah, I think you I think you you have you have really both. You have a technology really coming out of you or companies actually coming over. Yeah. And as Karen said, a lot a huge interest now from companies coming that's what gets the press attention, the companies that come over, and yeah. not so much the homegrown ones. So since setting up Angel Hub and Web Hub, I'm sorry, Angel Hub and, and uh, W Hub, what, um, what have you seen in terms of challenges and opportunities in, in, in terms of, you know, the, what you can contribute to the growth you've seen, the kinds of client, the people you're working with, um, but also the difficulties because, you know, business comes with challenges. So what, what can you tell me about your experiences so far? You know, I, I think we really started WHUB out of a passion, you know, for the tech ecosystem uh, and entrepreneurs. And we started Angel Hub in order to be able to bring more capital into the tech ecosystem. So we really always wanted to democratize, I would say, private markets. And this has always been our, our mission. So we really started with Angel Hub and being regulated is definitely key. We do believe in, in regulation and we believe that it provides a great framework and recognizance actually when you're starting a business, which is key. And um, we've been, you know, uh, really proud actually to be able to uh, provide deal by deal, take investment opportunities to high net worth individuals so that they could participate uh, into the growth of the tech ecosystem. So that's something that we are very proud of and we really hope to contribute more in this space because as you know, it's very challenging of course for tech company to raise funding and it should not only come from like VC or private equity, but you know, everyone should be able actually to invest into tech companies and to contribute in these amazing companies. What are your thoughts on liquidity in Hong Kong? Is, is it, there's enough money sloshing around, but is there enough money willing to take a risk? on such technologies. But the thing is, it's the same everywhere, right? First of all, it's it's really risky and an illiquid type of investment. So, you know, I wouldn't recommend anybody to put more than five or 10% of their net worth into this such, such asset class. Uh, so it's it's a type of, uh, of, of investment, but you should definitely diversify it. And uh, some people are definitely, you know, inclined to, uh, to take this kind of risk. And some people have done spectacularly. 
Yeah, of course. And some people also lose everything, right? I mean, let's not forget that. But definitely, it's, it's a good chance to contribute uh, to an amazing, you know, story and to an amazing uh, development. And uh, we had actually one uh, exit already uh, in Angel Hub, providing like 19x return to our investors, which we exit. Uh, so it, it does happen. Certainly, I think it's, it is the risk takers. And then here we have to hand it to those high net worth individuals that do do take that risk and, and are forward thinking that, that move the society and the technology and the markets. Yeah, but forward. the thing is, it's about the risk takers, but it's also, you know, we've always been on a mission to, I mean, education is a big part of what we do. Um, and, and therefore, that's why we are so aligned between what we're doing on WHUB and with FinTech Week, the conference, right? It's about the sharing, the knowledge, the learning. And, you know, by empowering this high net worth in individual to learn more about the market, you know, by, by sharing our expertise and, and what we know, it's also the best way for them to invest in the market because you have to admit it's complicated when it's not your day-to-day -day job, right, to, to assess an opportunity. So we are definitely here. Uh, you know, to provide our expertise, to share the due diligence that we do and to explain to them why we select uh, what companies to be on the platform as well. That's key, the due diligence, the, the vetting. Totally. Yeah. A recurring, I mean, a, a variant of a discussion that I've, I seem to have with a lot of people is that um, there is a camp that says technology and sustainability are at odds with each other. Yes, people talk about green technology, but that if you're going to see greater implementation of technology, you're talking about more devices, more tablets, more mobile phones, more computers, more devices of all sorts. Those require all kinds of resources, all kinds of inputs, precious earth metals, which can leach into the soil, what have you. In summary, that the proliferation of technology is not sustainable because where are all these resources going to come from? Um, there's also the camp that says, okay, there's green energy, you know, you can do it in a sustainable way. But again, even that requires inputs. And with R China scaling back what, what it's willing to export, with the situation with Russia and, you know, many inputs come from there, the claim is that, for example, green energy and, and, and other areas of tech aren't going to be possible because you require those inputs from certain parts of the world and there's a limit to how much Europe and Australia and the US can ramp up. Is tech at odds with sustainability? Listen, it's it's never black or white, right? It's like uh, when you start running, you cannot go for a 100 kilometer, you know, overnight. So I think when we're talking about sustainability and technology, it's, it's how we can do both also at the same time and implementing it to um, the best way we can, right? Um, so, for example, you know, we're looking at, at a company that is doing uh, recycling plastic and they're really leveraging technology in, in order to, to make it in a faster way, in a more controlled way. So that's a good way to, you know, how technology can really help sustainability. So I think it's not about, you know, pointing out like the good players, the bad players, but it's all making sure that we are making the effort in order to incorporate all the sustainable angles uh, into the technology that we are using. Because let's face it, we, we're not going to leave our phone and, and drop it off because, you know, it's bad for the planet. So we find we need to find because a it's way. Because an extension of yourself. Exactly. So we need to find a way to, to make it work together. And, um, and I think sustainability is actually, you know, a big part of the, of the conference. 
and um, it's getting you know into all the different part of the business and even into like really small business that really takes this to heart so uh, I think we're heading into the right direction and really when I see also the young generation, I see the difference between my parents and my kids, right? It's mm -hmm. it's like there is definitely a word in terms of sustainability and um, I think we're, well. we, we, yeah. we're getting into the right direction. Yeah. I think one of the things I would just um, highlight again, there's a lot to unpack in your question actually, yes. but um, <clears throat> I think I would take it a twist on, on, on saying no, I would, I would say actually the statement that technology is against sustainability in itself is the wrong angle to take because technology is always an or enabler. Or is it at odds with sustainability? No, because technology is always an enabler. So it's our responsibility, how do we leverage the technology? And what, for example, phones are replacing other means, for example, digital payments, replace other means of uh, fiat payments, for example, right, where you would have to install tons of ATMs, etc., which also have a certain carbon footprint, right? I sure. actually once read uh, an article that made the claim that uh, digital currencies uh, are more uh, positive than fiat money, and I could share you the link, and you could go into intrinsicacies, and obviously you could then uh, kind of like re-question the research methodology, and all of these assumptions were right, but I think what this study actually shows is the beauty of let's think about technology as an enabler, how we humans will apply it and what we will replace with technology, right? To, is, does that have a positive impact to the environment or a negative? That's our decision to make, but it's not the technology per se. And then just thinking about even if, when I, I think everybody uh, um, congratulated, right, when, when Ethereum made the move actually from running from, you know, uh, uh, proof of work uh, to um, uh, um, uh, proof of, uh, um, no, actually, well, <laughs> Well, when they change, I'll take another zip of when, coffee. Yes, when, exactly. when, when they change in order to <laughs> be more year, sustainable. Exactly. But but exactly. I think at the end of yeah. the day, what you want to say that it's it's definitely our responsibility, and that's why it's great to have regulators yeah, exactly. to come into the discussion, so that we can yeah. actually set up together the right framework that is enabling all of us to use technology in the right way, and and, and to make yeah, sure exactly. that we're moving into a better planet. Certainly, the tech side has a very powerful argument and you know, one, one must always attempt to see both sides, oftentimes there's more than one side, which is that digitization has saved the planet innumerable ways because look at how much less paper we're using compared to earlier generations when everything was documented and had to be filed in cabinets and I mean that, that was just some would say it was rapacious. I mean, the number of trees that had to be killed to crank out all that paper. And, and in the legal profession, I mean, it, it still happens. Yeah. And as Karen said, come to the conference. So actually, the ESG angle is a, is a very, very important part of, of Hong Kong FinTech Week as well, right? So, and it goes beyond just green finance, right? But yeah. it's really what is the, uh, the role that technology plays in the entire you know, ESG area, right? So. But it's definitely our responsibility, yeah. actually. Yeah. That, that's the thing, is that tech yeah. can be used for so many different things, right? It's really how we use it and the effort we make on it on a day-to-day -day as well. No, well, well put. I mean, I think we're past just e-verification and digital signatures were in the age of e-paper. So, yeah, that, that's... Uh, yeah, when you had to actually meet someone in order to get the wet signature. Can you yeah. imagine that? I mean, when you think about it. So, uh, unless you walked over or... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the taxi. They're non-cooperative <laughs> at that, yeah. 
Um, so both of you have taught the module on crowdfunding for HQ's online fintech course. How has the fundraising and valuation landscape changed since you originally taught the course, or, or has it? I mean, are the fundamentals still intact? Well, I, I think the course was really about, you know, what is uh, crowdfunding and what is a benefit, you know, uh, for the society. And then we discuss about uh, the different instruments for fundraising. So the fundamental, honestly, is still the same. The different type of products in order to, to raise funding for your companies is still the same. So definitely go and listen to the course because <laughs> it's still very valuable. Uh, in terms of um, fundraising amount, valuation, well, we can discuss about this every week. It's going to change every week. So, uh, so that's definitely a, a, a really long discussion. I think at the end of the day, what is really key is that crowdfunding is growing. We see new regulation coming into, into place in order to facilitate crowdfunding, meaning to facilitate the crowd and everyone to be able to participate um, in, in the funding all these new tech companies, but not only tech companies. It, it could be for any type of companies, actually. We leverage it for tech companies uh, or, ourselves. Uh, but it's uh, it's growing, and we have already always been a, a believer in, in the crowdfunding space and in, you know, including everybody in the space and not only have it dedicated to experts, right? So um, I think the, the course is a, is a great way to learn more about how you can participate into this kind of ecosystem. That can, no, that's that's a point. I mean, that, that can be off-putting when people feel that it's the domain of only those in the know. Exactly, uh, which the, is uh, really yes. we, which is really. Once upon what? a time, you had blue ribbon juries. Um, you know, people of a certain education level could only serve on juries. Right now, in these egalitarian times, that that'd be a faux pas. It's a non-starter. And and actually, that's why we are really advocate of transparency. I mean, in terms of disclosing, you know, the valuation about raising awareness about different clothes into contracts, so um, so so people uh, can be more, more aware of it. And uh, by bringing more transparency into a space, it's always beneficial for both parties, actually, investors and entrepreneurs. Should securities regulations be applied to crowdfunding or does crowdfunding require its own perhaps light regulatory type? Uh, so it depends. When we talk about crowdfunding, you have reward crowdfunding. So you get a reward or you get a product. Uh, when we're talking about lending or equity, of course, this needs to be regulated yeah, because it's actually a financial instrument. So definitely it should be regulated. And of course, when you're selling but, but financial... Banking rules don't necessarily need I mean when you're you know when you're dealing with people money yeah. like this and uh, for like investment purpose I think it's great to have a, a regulation and and I think what I love about regulators now is that they are more open as well to have discussion and and to see how it impacts businesses and to work uh, hand in hand together in order to to make it the best way possible for the end customer but definitely regulation is is key and um, and also for the end user i think it's reassuring you know to see that you know the company that are providing you this type of services is regulated and is not doing nonsense i mean we've seen in the past how this can go wild right so i think it's uh, always good to have regulations for equity i mean crowdfunding yeah. Because it drives the clarity, right? Because exactly. again, um, at, at the end of the day, it's, if you don't regulate, it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. It just means there's no clarity. Certainly regulators have moved beyond just once upon a time perhaps ignoring it, treating it as a fringe. Now they realize they have to regulate it, and that makes sense because you can't be a stealth de facto member of the financial system but play by your own rules. 
that 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 creates its own systemic risk. Um, but but again, it doesn't seem as necessarily as though banking regulations in their entirety um, fit the bill. Though there was um, I remember a cybercrime professor of mine once saying, "It isn't as though cyberspace gets its own rules. It's that you will see traditional." common law crimes existing in cyberspace and it's up to you to know what's what and how to define it and how to label it accordingly and pick out what what are the elements because it's just it's a new setting but everything that goes it's happened in the physical world is happening online and and so it's it's a matter of applying what you already know to it to a new realm but yeah they're in there lies the challenge then i mean honestly what what we are doing is that we are providing people the opportunity to invest and get equity in return i mean the fundamental whether it's online or not is exactly the same we are just leveraging technology in order to make it more accessible you know that that's really the, the central point that, that that is key so it's a different platform Yeah, I mean that, that's the aim, right? I mean it's uh, it's about technology enable us to democratize things and to make it accessible to people, to share the knowledge, to share more information, to make it accessible on 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 your pockets. That's incredible, right? Instead of you know for an entrepreneur to have to set up like 200 meetings in order to pitch their idea to 200 people, that first of all they need to find. And you that know? wasn't that long ago. Yeah, exactly. And you know, to be able to go to a platform and, and to access a lot of people that have interest into investing into tech companies, I mean, this is quite incredible, right? But at the end of the day, the product they offer is, is the same. So, Corrine has already been on our show. <laughs> this is your first time here. So, I mean, t tell us a little bit about yourself. I mean, what, what, what drew you to the technical path? I mean, um, You, you, your professional background could qualify you as a techie, some would say. And uh, yeah, I'm an engineer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. definitely. She's the engineer, yeah. yes. Yeah, I, I'm an engineer. I have an engineering degree from France and Canada, and then after I did a master in finance. So I think I would definitely qualify. I fintech, finance, and technology already from the start. Um, I, I think and engineers are no nonsense. They they look at problems and they look they try to devise solutions. Exactly. I mean that's what I love about engineering and and I mean technology. And I, when I discovered computer science, I was like, oh my god, this is so amazing. You know, you 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 have a, a problem and you're finding a solution and it 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 can be 100% right. You know, it's not like marketing where you never know, right? I mean, it's, for me, it's so much more complicating. But like engineering, computer science, you know, right or wrong, logical. It's it's definitely more my thing. <laughs> I certainly found also that engineers in law school, and of course they, they had the market locked on, on patent law, um, you know, because they, they... I wanted to become a lawyer first, and I went into <laughs> engineering, so... We actually do a, a tax lawyer, here you go. <laughs> But they, were, they were some of the most. I mean, that if you were an engineer, yeah, they would let you into the best law schools because they know that... Um, Unlike college, where you could skip the readings, just take good notes and get by, law school requires you to do your reading in increments each night. And they knew that if you were an engineer, because you were used to doing your problem sets each night, that, you know, we, we can count on you for that, that diligence consistently. But I also found engineers were some of the most aggressive and competitive people I, I'd, I'd, I'd ever met in, in law school. But by the same time, I, I hear engineers that disagree with that. They say, no, no, a good engineer knows 
it's a team effort. If, he do, if they don't work as a team, it's definitely a team effort. Uh, I think there is no doubt about this. I mean, I, I started my career actually uh, trading uh, exotic products, equity derivatives at, at JP Morgan for, for quite some years. And then I switched totally to, to start W Hub actually with Karina. But truly speaking, you know, at the end of the day, we wouldn't have uh, made it possible to be WHUB if we had exactly the same background. So what is important, it's about the complementarity of each other. And that's really what is key because you take two engineers like me, I'm not sure like the result will be like really great, we would be missing a lot of things, but the complementarity is what is making it possible. So it's great that you know people find their own thing that they are interested in, whether it's business, whether it's economics, whether it's uh, engineering, whether it's law, and actually it's really bringing these people together that makes the magic happen and that develop really great businesses. And I think that's really what's key. So I think it's about everyone to find what they want to do and based on this they can definitely contribute. I'm a poor designer, you know, it's definitely not my thing. So in order to make it happen, I really need somebody with the creative side as well. So it's really, you know, when you build the team um, that it's actually uh, great. People, yeah, people don't appreciate it. There is a role for the artist exactly. in manufacturing. For, for everyone, uh, actually, and, um, and, and that's why it works so well yeah. together. It's uh, because actually, in a way, we are very different. Uh, we complete each other, we trust as well each other, and we take part of, you know, different aspects of the business. And, uh, and, and that's key. I think you, you talked about competitiveness. I wouldn't call it competitiveness, but I think the thing that we do have in common is a, a big drive and, and really uh, wanting uh, to make things happen and possible. So I yeah, think we, that is definitely that is we are. I wouldn't call it competitive, but overachiever, <laughs> you know, very, uh, not taking no for an answer. <laughs> very determined. Because yes. the flip side is then you've got the general population who many people may have the dream but not the drive. Yeah, I, I well, I, I hope that everybody has a dream for sure. Um, but I think it, it's a good question. Does the dream come first uh, that drives you, or the drive <laughs> that makes the dream possible? Um, yeah. Yeah, and it, and <laughs> and even in that, I can't underestimate the the importance of hard work. That 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 um, it does seem to me that talent matters, but. Uh, it fails when, when talented people don't, don't apply themselves. Yeah, and, and this thing also, it's definitely, you were talking about hard work, and it is a lot of hard work, but um, you know, it might sound cheesy, but it's true that when you love what you do, when you're proud of what you do, and uh, when you're passionate about it, it helps to get the number of hours you know, piled up um, as well. Well, that's passion, a, that, that's a, a blessing. Yeah, ask our family. <laughs> you can be really, really, yes, uh, obsessed about it, yes. But that is a blessing because the, I would submit to you the vast majority of people in this town are stuck in roles that maybe they don't necessarily hate, but they can tolerate. But they and their dependents have gotten used to living a certain way. They can't rock the boat. Um, I, I remember something um, Chris Rock, the comedian, said that, that um, there's a difference between having a job and having a career and that when you've got a job five or six o'clock can't roll around quickly enough and you're you're counting the minutes of the hours when you've got a career there are i mean as, as with my late mother you know who was a typical ever achiever there needed to be 30 hours in the day 
for her to do everything or more. Yep. Yeah. That's the only thing we haven't cracked yeah. yet, right? Yeah. Even haven't. technology hasn't yeah. cracked that, I know. Like the person who gives us one hour more per day. <laughs> but I think actually to come back to that, I, I think it's also why we, uh, we built a hub and uh, we built a community. It's, it's mm -hmm. actually about these 30 hour things, right? We know that we cannot do everything ourselves. So by leveraging the community, by leveraging you know the people we know in in, in order to achieve our goal, uh, is something that has been key. I mean, for Angel Hub, for example, we have a investment committee that is comprised of like forty experts, uh, you know, like CEO of of banks or ex regulators or successful tech entrepreneurs, and really they help us in in the vetting, for example, of the tech companies. You know, by by giving us their feedback and their view on the market and each of them brings something different and it's really by leveraging the ecosystem that also we manage to assess so many companies for example so i think you know these 30 hours can also be solved by really not doing things by yourself because that's not going to happen by leveraging you know the people around you uh trust the people around you building an amazing team as well and and, and i think that's what we're trying to do yeah, I mean, there is something to be said for, for leveraging relationships. I remember once when I was at Thomson Reuters, I was getting a call from one of the salespeople uh, on, on the business side. I was a journalist. And because, but I had subject matter expertise in certain areas of financial law. And they were asking me for a question. I'm like, you know, this sounds awfully like legal research, legal advice. So, but anyway, I, I called one of my contacts. And he provided me with the, the information I sought, and I passed it on to my colleague. All was well, because his client needed to know. The, my lawyer contact in Singapore said to me, Jay, if someone had come to me with this, I would have given it to one of my associates, built it at the senior partner rate. And again, it was... It was... I was able to pull that off on, on, uh, in short notice because I was able to leverage that relationship with, with, with someone, someone in my sphere. So yeah, going back to your point, yeah, you can't answer all the questions. You can't always do it. Do and it that's yourself. why you know you should come to FinTech Week, even if we are all very busy, because actually that's where you can build the meaningful connections in order to speed up your business. That's where you can learn about the technologies that can help you to be faster, to be more efficient. So you know, I mean, sometimes it's always good, you know, to to pause, to reflect, and um, to go outside and to learn new things because this can actually help you and enhance your productivity, creativity, and everything. Is it too late to get in the game? Is it, is it too late to learn about this topic because people think that it's it's no longer malleable? That that it's yes, the technology is in state of flux, but. It's its own field. It's it's esoteric. It's arcane. It's it's for the it's for the tech savvy, and um, my my lack of comprehension is going to bar me from entering that space. And, 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 and first of all, it's never too late. Yeah, I would say they are only bad professor if it's if it's too late. I think that when people really understand a, a topic, they manage. And to bad education can be worse than no education. Yeah, exactly. But you know, when when somebody really understands something, they can explain it to you in a very simple way that you can understand. I mean, and sometimes you don't need to understand everything about the technology. You just need to understand what you can do with it. The functionality. You know, yeah. exactly. You don't the need to understand what is exactly AI and, and how it works behind, but it's more like 
how can it help you? It's actually a superpower for some of the tasks. Where can we use it? You know, it's like Web3 and blockchain. You don't need to understand everything about the infrastructure, but it's more about the use case. Um, and that's really what yeah. we want to showcase. I, I think there are two elements to it as, as well. It, it's really about you know technology and the, and the speed and, and how quickly technology changes and even foundational new technologies are coming, right? It's just accelerating. So no, I mean, we just saw you know, in the example of, of how you pay, right? From uh, fiat to, uh, to credit cards to digital payments, now to you know, cryptocurrency payments. So, so all of that is in the in terms of matter of time is, is, is increasing very, very fast. So it's never too late for sure. The other thing is, I think we talked about it last time, and as Karen said, you know, you don't not only need the techies uh, in, in the business to, to make a business work. So I think it's definitely never too late. The, the techies don't always necessarily make it easy because I mean, I've seen this with some of the people I met from Silicon Valley, and sadly, some of the stereotypes and rumors are, are true. That it, they're in their own little clique, their own little nest, and there is a tendency to think that they're doing God's work, moving you know, the world forward, and no one else matters. I think this is true for like every type of domain. I mean, I think it's 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 really true for 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 for, for everything. But that's I, why that show Silicon Valley rubbed a lot of people the wrong way because some would say, okay, it's, it's humor, but many a truth is said in jest, and some people felt it was many. It was too close to the truth in terms of the characters they were doing of Peter Thiel and and Elon and others. But, you know, I think that's why we're not organizing a, a tech conference. It's a fintech conference. You know, it's about the financial practical. industry yeah, and exactly. then the, the tech yeah, as well. And it's really combining everything because it's only when you combine everything that really magic happens, you know. Uh, the, the tech alone, if you don't know what to do with it, you know, doesn't really matter, right? It's really to understand it and how it can superpower a business. But, uh, so it's really the combination of, of both. So that's why we're talking about edutech, fintech, and everything that is tech power. But it's never really the tech alone. Yeah, I would say tech. that makes it. In short tech, well, th yeah, I mean, it, the, the whole plethora of subfields that have yeah. come up. But I want to come back to your, your, your respective backgrounds, though. I mean, and, and that, yes, you've got, you've got different backgrounds. And, and as you said, there's a complementarity to that. I mean, I remember even... Kroll, the private investigative firm, for a long time, uh, they their policy was to hire people of different backgrounds, so, but who did similar things. And that if you look at what a law enforcement person does, or what a journalist does, um, or what an intelligence person does, they all do investigations in their own way. So it was people who are working to a common or similar goal but with slightly different backgrounds. It was said that there's there's strength uh, in that diversity, that synergies can be drawn. Uh, but I, I wonder if there might not be co conflict as well. And, and, and Because there are firms that say, we want all our people cut from a certain cloth. There are law firms that pride themselves, I know in the US, of, I mean, the, the, the firm depicted in the TV show Suits is not that much of an exaggeration where they'll say, no, we only, hire, we only hire from Harvard. We only hire from Harvard and Yale. 
we only hire from the top 14. But what made them better was hiring somebody that was actually not from Harvard. <laughs> and that's make it like super special. Exactly. But I, I mean... The kid, the kid was a prodigy. Exactly, yeah. right? But I, I, I think that, you know, um, I, I don't really know about lawyers, but, but for us, we have really a lot of different nationalities, uh, different uh, culture um, as well, and, and different background. But I think, as you said, what we have in common is that we love we love tech and everything related to tech that's what really i think ground like our team really to to together that so is really bringing the world together even example. people who love tech so in the developing world but in a different yes. way you know we have people that are more related to the investment part people more related to the conference part we have people related to digital assets um as well so i mean yeah. it's um it's it's really different but at the end of the day we also speak in a way the same language right yeah, but because that's actually the point, you know, with, with diversity, yes, of, uh, of course we say diversity makes us uh, richer and, and, and definitely also in the decision making, right? If you want to uh, serve a very uh, diverse uh, community or, or clientele, I mean, it's better that you have these different viewpoints inside the company. But as human beings, typically, you know, we, we tend to, to gravitate towards people who are like you. Right, uh, because of course it's easier. To your point, it's because more it's efficient. More it's more efficient if somebody just says yes, yes, yes. We, you can go faster, right? If we agree, but we maybe go very fast in the wrong direction. So that's where you have to strike the balance. And I think all these, you know, trainings that talk about we have to celebrate diversity, it doesn't come natural, right? I mean, yeah. if if you say something, so it's no, I don't agree. You're like. Gosh, why you don't agree, right? So it's it's difficult, and that's funnily also one of the reasons why typically you should not start a business yeah. with your best friend, because you're probably too similar. I've been, I've yeah. been, right? yeah, I've been there. Exactly, I've, I've, exactly. Yeah. So we obviously, as we generally do, not necessarily accept uh, you know the common opinion, and we said <laughs> nevertheless we do start our business together. And yes, I mean we, we got more done when we were away from each other because together it turned into more of a social thing, and. and that wasn't as constructive. Yeah, or because you actually do not want to uh, disagree or you do want to, uh, but, and I think that's the, that's the beauty. So that's probably a reason why very often it fails to do a business with, with friends or family because you would shy away from conflict. But right. if you're over that and if you treasure the different viewpoint, mm -hmm. then actually the trust or the common passion, right? I would say trust and common passion together makes it a, a winning formula because uh, then you have that different viewpoint but you you sort it out and you move on together yeah i guess yeah i mean if people are willing to hear the other side and keep their egos in check then, then, yeah. then, then yeah i i know i know that um i mean personally i think it's extremely myopic to have recruits only from one institution or one tier of of institutions and you know people have said for, for years that it's it's not it's not beneficial to society, for, for example, the U.S. Supreme Court, nine people deciding things for 300 million people. That in itself is a problem. Then you look at the composition of the court, and they're all virtually all, by this point, all graduates of Harvard or Yale. No, in an earlier generation, there might have been some schools who maybe were still in the top 14, just as graduate schools in the top 14, but maybe further down. That That's not the case anymore. That, you know, you, you're unlikely to see someone like uh, someone rise to the presidency from a no-name institution either. So, um, are you seeing that kind of stratification in in the world of tech that they're only going to hire only hiring people from 
big name I cannot tell you uh, the educational background of people in my team. I'm, I'm oh. not sure it's really something that I check that much, uh, <laughs> to be totally honest. Um, of course, in a way, um, you know, it, it does matter. You want people for some role that actually, you know, studied or... I mean, it depends. There are always um, exceptions. I, mm -hmm. I think... Uh, French uh, people do check it quite a lot. Uh, here, I would say maybe a, a little bit less, but um, especially if you're going into banking or government service, then yeah, there, I mean, there are course. designated paths. Certain schools you must. Go yeah, through. but I mean, of course. But um, you know, I, I think uh, at the end of the day, as we were saying, we we are all trying also to go against our own bias and uh, to make an effort. But definitely, if you see somebody maybe coming from Harvard and somebody who didn't study, you know for a very technical role, or I don't know, as low, I mean, yeah, it might be complicated, but uh, I think we, we give people a, a, yeah. a chance as well. But it's interesting because underlying you have the assumption that, for example, everybody coming out of HKU is the same person. And I wouldn't even challenge no, that to no, start no, no, with, no, no, actually. That, that, um, no, no one should presume that, um, but you are, you are going to see a wide class difference. Mm -hmm. I think you had different stratas of Hong Kong society here in earlier years. Um, to some extent, that's still the case, but I think less so, because as time has gone on, it's been a prosperous society. The wealthy, the ruling class in this town, largely send their kids overseas to study. Mm -hmm. At least, and it, in my lived experience, I'd say there's strong anecdotal evidence to to support that, that position. But, but the funny thing is that people send their kids overseas, but I know a lot of people from Europe that are sending their kids to Hong Kong as well to study, so I think it's yeah. really a mixed uh, uh, no, everywhere, because, right? Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's great, actually. It brings because more diversity. We're getting, yeah, exactly. we're getting a different perspective, right? I mean, yeah. that you know, it, it, can, it can open up the eyes of kids here who've never been overseas and may, may prompt them to pursue further graduate study. Overseas, I remember sitting in on a course at um, MIT once. You know, Harvard and, and um, MIT, you know, both separated by the Charles River in, in Cambridge. And, and uh, the professor said to his students, "I know many of you think you're going to go out there and change the world and, and do remarkable things, but more than likely, you're going to end up in a job answering to someone from Harvard or Yale." Well, it's up to them, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, and again, I think argue that's where potentially the world we live in is a little bit more of a. Uh, plain level playing ground and that's uh, hopefully what what, uh, what technology can contribute to as well yeah because it's more about the uh, it's more about the talent more about the and not yeah. the vision and not yeah. everybody want to become entrepreneurs and and work like 30 hours a day you know some people they're happy to do a nine to five and uh, they're happy to focus on on other things and I think it's also great right because what a nightmare if everybody wanted to start their their, their company and had endless like ambitions so it's uh, you know there is no right or wrong it's all about about you know what do you want to do where do you see you you fit you know and for example for us it's just um, it's a lot of work but we really love it and and you know we're looking forward actually to seeing the conference and and making it live and it's like all these hours that we and the team you know have put in it's uh, for us it's just uh, incredible 
which is a great opportunity to put a shameless plug. So there are dedicated uh, student passes available. So we do hope <laughs> that, the, that the youth actually so, comes, actually. And, uh, and because, again, it's, it's a nice mixture because you would obviously see the tech companies, the very successful one, the up and running scale-ups. Uh, but you also see the very traditional incumbents, right? So it's going to be a big crowd. And I think for you as a, as a young person, I always say it's interesting. It's, it's, it's maybe uh, much more difficult to find your own path because they do not seem to have like only two, three or four typical paths. Like when, when I uh, studied uh, the last century, you know, there seemed to be only a few paths that you either win and are successful or you're unsuccessful. This time you have or much traditionally more designated paths that society exactly. assumed you would take. Exactly, and that now you, you have more choice. Exactly, well, right? and that's the thing. And now you have more choice, which seems a bit more complicated, but you can you can change. You can reinvent time. yourself. I mean, yeah. come on! I was working in in finance and investment banking, and yeah. now I'm a tech entrepreneur, and uh, so. It's okay. You can start with something and, and change afterwards also. You, you don't need to you decide right away. No, it's, it's a very inspirational story, but certainly you had skills that are in demand. I mean... No, I, actually, you know, truly speaking, I, I didn't because, you know, when I left JP Morgan in order to start our entrepreneurship journey, you know, I was like, you know, coming from an investment bank and especially doing trading, like, equity derivatives exotics, you know, how, how can these skills... You don't skills, think your engineering background helped you? But the thing is that how these skills can be applied in, in entrepreneurship, right? So I studied computer science, but before, so the language you study kind of are, are old already. So actually I went back and I took a, a three months uh, full stack web developer course, you know, in, in order to get me back to the level, get me back into the game and, and being able to, to code the website myself. So what I mean is that... Mm -hmm. You know, after it's up to you, it's never too late to learn also the new skills. So I had good foundation. That's true. Yeah, you, I had, you know, good foundation, but if I only relied on this foundation, it wouldn't have been enough. You know, it's about reinventing yourself and continue to learn, you know. And at this time, you know, blockchain was not even a topic, right? So then after, you know, I went and I learned more about blockchain. What is it? You know, what is a, a AI as well? You know, is what I learned 20 years ago definitely doesn't apply there. So, so yeah. technology technology is a vehicle to facilitate financial inclusion. Is that because nowadays the means of accessing the net, either through your phone, as many people in the developing world do, or through your computer, that because financial services are available online, that that democratizes banking and finance, or is, is there more to it? I mean, what, what more needs to be done for inclusion? Because even online, a bank can shut your account. And that has been the grievance of the IMF and um, you know, other global bodies, that the great unbanked, and that how, how can fintech, how can telecom be used to provide them with banking services? Because as um, someone said at an ACAMS event in Dubai some years ago, the phone companies are the de facto bank system in, in, in parts of Africa, and that many bankers have gotten fat, lazy, and complacent, that people need banking services. They don't necessarily need banks. Yeah, I think it's it's a very interesting topic. We talked about that actually in our um, fintech white paper that we had uh, issued a, a huge topic. And I think there's so much to unpack. I think um, 
just headline-wise, uh, I think when we talk about financial inclusion, there's both. There is um, access, right? Access to devices, access to technology. But there's the know-how piece as well, right? The understanding. Um, I think uh, to your point, when we talk about, uh, you know, Africa, we talk about China, we'll talk about Asia in general, um, where you take ratios about, uh, you know, the, the percentage of population being unbanked versus uh, the distribution of smartphones or, or mobile phones, right? And saying this is a, a huge opportunity because to your point, um, if you, you know, do not need a bank or an ATM or a physical location, but you can have your bank in your hand and you are able to distribute that. And again, the, the percentage of mobile penetration, the smartphone mobile version, people being, being unbanked is such a great opportunity. Yes. But again, there's so much more to it. There's also education to it. There is also the fact that uh, with technology, they're very new business models, right, that, uh, that arrive and helping people to become, uh, you know, part of, of the economic system and, you know, talking about uh, blockchain and, and, and gaming and, you know, uh, play to, uh, you know, play to, to earn what wasn't something that existed even what, two years ago. Um, so, so there's so many different layers to it and it's very interesting and, and again, one of the reasons uh, why we'll uh, have that at, at Hong Kong FinTech Week is to unpack that and to Play say what, what has uh, use cases indeed that blockchain technology allows other industry to uh, really um, progress. I don't want to use the word disrupt, um, but I think also why we will be talking about uh, entertaining, uh, gaming, um, uh, art. Uh, so we have different partnerships with very prominent uh, Web3 players, but also very prominent art uh, players, um, is to really stimulate the creativity of financial services practitioners to say, look, if this is what blockchain technology or AI does to the entertainment, to the gaming, to the art industry, what, what does that mean for us? The gamification angle is huge because that, that, that seems to be a lot of what um, young people, I'd say the 18 to... 35 bracket we're, we're talking about. Um, in the time we've got left, I mean, because I know oftentimes, and, and I, I, we do appreciate the student passes you set aside, because oftentimes you don't normally see that many students at uh, HK FinTech events that um, they're either in school or to the extent you do see students, it's at the college or graduate school level uh, who, who are able to who attend. Um, this being HKU, what, what, what advice would you leave young people, either in terms of wanting to enter the world of tech as an entrepreneur, as a techie, or whatever skills they may bring uh, of value, or, and also in terms of not being afraid of tech and, and implementing it into their daily lives to make themselves more productive and, and uh, what have you, I think. The market penetration of phones and smart devices is is pretty pronounced in this town. Uh, you may be preaching to the choir, but there are always holdouts. So, what advice would you give young people about about uh, tech and how it's going to change their lives? And maybe they may want to seek a career in this space. I, I think the first really advice is be curious. You know, go and um, ask questions and go to events, uh, go to conferences. And, and you have so many resources online. First of all, this is incredible. But when you also have all offline resources and when you have the opportunity to have such a big scale conference, you know, at your fingertip, uh, be curious and, and you will learn new things. And that's where you'll get all the new ideas. And it's also good to know what you don't want to do. Mm -hmm. So um, that's that's also a good thing, and and you might find something really that you might want to pursue as well, 
and, and that you'll develop a passion out of it. So be curious. It's really the first advice. In fact, I know someone who just left a six-figure job this week uh, precisely to follow her passion. And, um, you know, she had her doubts, but she hasn't, she hasn't looked back. And um, I don't think the artistic temperament necessarily fit with the law firm culture in, 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 th in that instance. But, um, you know, I, I wish her well. And, and yeah, she, she's curious. She's and, and sometimes, if I may say, you know, it's not because you're following your passion that you're not going to make a living out of it as well, you know, so. Um. It's, a, it's, a, it's an uncertain road, and I wish her well. I know, and maybe this is an Asian thing, most, most people tend to, here would tend to choose stability. And predictability, and, and that's. Um... And we need both type of people, right? So, yeah. You know. But we should not forget that change is a constant, the only constant. So, I would say just do it. I mean, the curious, it, totally do it because by doing you learn, and I, I fully agree. Well, she's she's proven herself adaptable, but it's it's one thing to do it in your early thirties. It's another thing to reinvent yourself, like say. Um, like my age, way older. <laughs> Or Robert, Robert, think, think of one of the best books I would recommend on reinventing yourself later on in life is Robert Mondavi's uh, book, um, Harvest of Joys, where he was kicked out of the family wine business at 57 and had to reinvent himself. And he did, but, but it, it, was, it was a tough slog. Never too late. Yeah. yeah, never too late. But just do it is definitely also yeah. a good advice. You know, sometimes you have to jump. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Well, Karen, Karina, thank you for your time. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. To our viewers, until next time.